Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. That'd be me, and I am just so glad about today's show. I'm especially excited that Beth Guckenberger will be joining me. That's not an easy name to say, Beth Guckenberger, but she's written a book called Reckless Faith. And then Robbie Gallaty will be coming out of the program, and he's written an amazing book on recovering from addiction and how addiction led him to the Lord. David Wheaton, my friend, will be on the program as well. It's his five-year anniversary of a book he has written on the life of his beautiful uh, dog named Ben. It's called My Boy Ben, and it's quite a moving story. And then Dr. Craig Keener, uh, an amazing scholar, will be coming on the program as well. That's all ahead on the show today. So if you are having one of those days where you've got a little extra time to be at home prepping for the big holiday and the radio is on, you're just in for this huge treat. Take 60 seconds to be right back. I'm Neil Stave, a manager of Faith Radio. This month, the focus is on Thanksgiving, and we're reminded to take a day to pause and give thanks for all the blessings God pours out on us. But I'm thinking of a growing group of people who deserve our gratitude every day because these friends of Faith Radio support us as ongoing monthly givers. This steady giving allows this ministry to have a firm financial foundation month after month. So to all of you who make up our ongoing monthly giving family, thanks. We appreciate you and bless you for the encouragement you bring to us and to thousands of listeners who, as a result of your gifts, are able to hear the hope of the gospel presented daily here on Faith Radio. Every day is Thanksgiving Day because of your partnership. Now, if you've given to Faith Radio in the past but want to be more consistent in that support, consider becoming an ongoing monthly giver. You can sign up today at MyFaithRadio.com or by calling 877-933-2484 and press 2 to make a gift. I am so glad to be welcoming back to the show Beth Guckenberger. She's uh, an author and really has an amazing ministry called Back to Back Ministries. It's an international nonprofit organization she founded in 1996. She wants to be a voice for orphans. What's not to like about Beth? Beth, welcome back. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you know, I loved your book, Start With Amen, How I Learned to Surrender by Keeping the End in Mind. I, I, I would love to talk about that, but I know you got a new uh, book out as well, a new devotional. Oh, it's like you're—I could talk about anything. But yes, I I decided to write—this was my ninth book, and I'd never done a devotional before. And I, um, I actually was— having a conversation with an author named Anne Lamont um, on a on a show I was in, and she said these words, which I've never forgotten, which is, you should write something that you would be delighted to stumble upon. And so I was, I sat down with a blank piece of paper and thought, if I was, what kind of devotional I'd be so excited that somebody put together that I'd be, that, that I would look forward to. And um, that's kind of how I started in my brain and uh, built a 40-day experience for people. Well, that's awesome. That's quite a challenge you took on. And if I did that, <laughs> I would probably still be stuck on day one going, well, what am I supposed to write? <laughs> I decided to try to be as vulnerable as possible. I find that I like writing where people are 
um, honest and vulnerable and transparent, authentic, those kinds of words really resonate with me, but still God honoring. And, and so I just, I just, it's a bunch of stories about how, um, saying yes to God has caused me to, you know, face my own sin and take risks and deepen relationship and listen more and step out and all the things I want, but I, I was just trying to trace it back to this idea of saying yes. Yeah. Well, I love that you've put 40 life-changing messages together in a book. I mean, it's not overwhelming us. It's a nice number. Yeah. I feel like I'm getting a lot of value for my book money, but I'd love for you to kind of walk us through one of these um, stories, one of these messages. Yeah. Sure. I started, um, I, I, this hasn't always happened to me. Like, don't think like this always happens, but in the beginning of 2018, I did feel like God gave me a word to think about that year. And it was kind of extra cool because it was a Hebrew word. It was this word, heneni, which translates in English as here I am. And you find it eight times in the Old Testament, uh, like Moses in front of a burning bush and and um, think uh, Abraham on his way up a mountain with Isaac. When, when the Lord calls down to those two men in those stories, their response was this singular word in, in Hebrew, heneni, which we say here I am. But it really means whatever it is that you're asking of me, I'm already in agreement of it. So I kept saying last year in 2018, I want this to be the year of Heneni. I want to say yes to the Lord before I try to count the cost or disqualify myself or say I'm too old or young or tired or busy or whatever. If the Lord says my name, I want to say whatever it is you're asking of me, I'm already in agreement of it. And uh, I got halfway through the year and I, I was in Israel and I was asking this Hebrew guide, like, hey, I'm like telling people about this word and I just want to double check, like, am I saying it right and am I teaching it right? And he said to me, yeah, 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 that's all right. And then he goes, do you know there's some time in your Bible where the Lord says, Heneni, to you? And I said, what are you talking about? And he said, there's a there's a moment in the Bible where the Lord says to you, whatever it is you're asking of him, he's already in agreement of it. And I'm like, well, where's that for? Where's that found? And we opened up our Bibles to Isaiah 58, and it, it goes through this part, the end of the chapter, like, is this the kind of fasting I've chosen? You know, and it, he walks through some of his mission, like to put clothes on naked people and to make room at our tables and to feed people who are hungry and set prisoners free. And he says, basically, if you're in the middle of my business, then your healing will break forth like the dawn. And it says, and you will cry out and I will respond and any, or here I am. And I, I, it just like, it just hit me like a, like a ton of bricks, but that's kind of the story of my life. I'm often in over my head. I'm often like feel underqualified or immature or, or ill-prepared for any number of things that God's asked me to do in my life. But every time I get in that place where I feel kind of like I'm not enough for what he wants, and I've cried out to him, I've always found him to be responsive. Whatever it is that I was asking of him, he was in agreement of it. And so I just wanted to put that in there because whether we're parenting or married or married or neighboring or working or whatever, missioning or whatever we're doing in life, we always feel like we're kind of maybe not enough. And if everybody knew what we know about ourselves, they might think that we weren't the right person for the job. And so I, I just wanted to capture this idea, what it looks like to be in that position and then to call out to God and to have him respond to you. Mm-hmm. That's a great word, Haneni. And I'm glad you did yeah. extra study on it because it sounds too much like panini and I would end up going and getting a sandwich <laughs> and I'd miss the whole yeah. thing, Beth. So um, I do find it uh, fascinating that uh, when you go to Isaiah 58, and I'm looking at it right now, and you, uh, God is already in agreement if you are in his will. Do I have that right? Yes. Yeah. If you're like, basically it's like, if, if you're busy about my business, mm-hmm. you, 
you're going to need things like me to be a rear guard, it says. Right. You're going to need things like for me to go before you. You're going to need things like healing. You're you're going to need me because it's it's too much for you're not God. You can't do God-like things, but you can be in in relationship with me and I can do it through you. Um just cry out for help yeah. and it was good. Yeah, is the I don't feel 100% adequate is that just part of the human condition? I think everybody feels that about everything every day for the most yeah, part. Yeah, I mean, like I am someone who kind of rejects the word balance, like when people are like, I don't know how you balance it all. Todd and I have 11 kids and, you know, this ministry life and people yeah. are like, I don't know how you balance it all. And I think I'm not balancing it right. all. If, if, if I look good at work, like I'd never clean my house. And if, if my house <laughs> was looking really good, I blew off my work. And if I'm doing a great job with my kids, I probably haven't showered. And if I look fantastic, I probably blew off my kids. Like yeah. at some point, like you can't actually do it all perfectly all the time. Mm-hmm. So there is always this sense of like, I'm dropping a ball. I'm, 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 and and so I like the word rhythm. I like to use the word rhythm a lot. I think that um, in Matthew chapter 11, in the message translation, Eugene Peterson talks about how uh, he quotes Jesus as saying, we have, there's an unforced rhythm of grace. And that's kind of like how I like to live. Like I want to have an unforced rhythm of grace that says, you know, sometimes I'm, I'm faster in this area or slower in that area, or I'm picking that up, but it doesn't mean I'm dropping something. It just means, um, I don't know, that God's God's there in that rhythm with me. And I think that helps prevent me from feeling like I'm not enough because, mm-hmm. you know, some days we do it great and some days we don't. Totally. You know, social media has lit fire to that because we just put pictures out when everything looks really balanced. We just put pictures out when we've, you know, when we're in a moment, what we want the whole world to see us in that moment. So those are usually our best foot forwards which then continues to drive this perception that everybody has it going on well. And maybe I'm the only one that, you know, and messing up at whatever area you might feel a sense of insecurity in. So I want to have a tool in the hands of people to have conversations of substance because we can control conversations. We can edit conversations. We, we can be in conversations that really just um, are transactional and, and I was like thinking to myself, I want our faith communities to be talking about real moments when the real gospel hits against our real sin. And then what happens? Like, then, then what does maturation look like? Or what does confession look like? Or what, like, what does that wrestle look like? And so I, in the, in the devotional, I have all these questions that I'm hoping, like in my, in my dream life, I'm thinking people across their backyard fences are talking about them and in their small groups and in their family dinner tables. Like I, I want to engage people in substantive conversations about the things that God's asking them to do and the things he's showing them. Yeah, Beth, can you um, give me a couple of questions from the book? Because I don't have my own copy yet, but I will get one. And I'd love to hear some of the questions that, you know, you're you're wanting to use to get people talking. Yeah, so I um, there's like four, think of like a clock of 12, 3, 6, and 9. So. Okay. Every day there's like um, at the top of the clock we have experiences and some of the experiences I provoke them to do little challenges or experiences that I tell them that I did that day. Moments that are just real life snapshots of, of everyday living. From that experience, if you travel down the clock to where the three is, I think that we need to reflect on those experiences. In fact, left to myself, I'm kind of an experienced junkie and I would just go from hit to hit to hit. But <laughs> I, I think that, that the truth is, we are called to reflect on those experiences. So the three questions I ask there at that three o'clock is, what's something today I learned about myself? 
what's something today I learned about somebody else, and what's something today I learned about the Lord. And I think those that kind of reflection on the experiences we have in our day drive us to that number six part of the clock, the bottom, which is change. Like when we have experiences that we reflect on, then we then we change. We 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 invite the Lord in to do the kind of things He transformatively does inside of our lives when we invite Him to. And then the nine part of that clock. So in that change section, I ask questions like, you know, do we need to change our priority, perspective, habit, thinking, thoughts, feelings? Like, what is it about our life that might need to change, get shifted a little bit because we've done some reflecting on whatever experience we've had? Then the last part of the clock where the nine is, think of the word change. I mean, think of the word action. When we have experiences that we reflect on and we change, then we're going to act differently. And those actions might be um, you know, external, we might go and live and serve and give and do and work and be different, or they might be more action steps on the inside. I might confess and 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 ponder and prioritize. Or, but those 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 actions then drive us to new experiences, and then this growth cycle it becomes like a flywheel, and there's actual spiritual momentum that happens. So. I, I talk about how, like, sometimes I hear Christians talk about I'm in a dry spirit or I, I, I'm i in a moment where I feel kind of spiritually flat. And I, the way to get that flywheel to begin is to start reflecting on the experiences that you have in your day and then allow God to use that reflection to change and then allow that to spur us into, into new actions. And then, and then we suddenly are kind of off to the races. So all kinds of questions in it, but that, that's kind of the pattern that it follows. And I love the structure of that, Beth. I'm going to go to break here, but I would love when we come back, if you couldn't walk us through just a, uh, a personal experience where you have your experience and you do your reflection, and then if you can think of a personal experience to mm-hmm. share with the listeners, I know that would be gold. Okay. Does that sound great. like a plan? I look to it. Awesome. It sounds like a plan. Good. Beth Guckenberger is my guest. She's written nine books. The one we're looking at today is called Reckless Faith, A 40-Day Journey to Saying Yes. We'll be back in 90 seconds. Welcome back to the show. I'm so glad to be talking to Beth Guckenberger again. She has written nine books. I first met her with her book, Start With Amen. I loved it, and I've talked about it to many, many people, not even when I'm behind the microphone. So that's a good sign. Now she's written a 40-day journey to saying yes called Reckless Faith. And Beth, right before we went to break, you were uh, chatting about the, the, the wheel. Would you walk us through one of your own personal uh, moments? So one of the things, um, one of the experiences is I was in a training here for my day job. I work with orphans, and we were learning that Fear is the primary emotion on which anger sits on top. So we were learning that every time somebody's angry, they're actually really afraid. And the person that was doing our our training was saying, have any of you ever lost a child in a grocery store? And I have. And so I was reflecting back to this moment. I lost my son, Josh, once. And when I finally found him in the produce department, I wasn't like, oh, I'm so glad to find you. Would you like a banana? I was like crazy. Like, what are you doing? I told you to stay where you were. And so we were talking about the relationship between anger and fear. A little bit later that night, my husband and I got in a conflict, which honestly, I can't even remember what it was about, but it was the kind of conflict that we didn't want anyone to hear. So we went into our bedroom and halfway through our discussion, spirited discussion, somebody, one of our kids knocked on the door. They needed a ride somewhere. So um, they they left. When they came back, uh, when, when my husband left, I was thinking to myself, 
I don't like how I sound right now. I don't like what I'm thinking. Like I was feeling a sense of conviction and I was asking myself like, oh gosh, Lord Jesus, what are you teaching me about myself? What are you teaching me about Todd? What are you teaching me about you? And I was remembering that um, I I knew knew that I needed the Bible. Like I, I knew I needed scripture in my life, but I didn't know I didn't really want to open up my Bible to like Leviticus. Like I was angry. I had adrenaline in my heart. I was like worked up, but I, I knew that I, I knew that I needed those things. And I had been trying to put scripture in my life when I was angry because I was really afraid because the Bible tells me to fear not. So anyway, what I decided to do is sit on my bed and I hit the audio Bible feature of my phone and just let the Bible come to me. Cause I didn't want to go to the Bible. So I let that Bible come to me. And as I was listening to those words, kind of rush over me and impact the way I was thinking. My husband comes to the door and he was ready to like pick up where we left off. But the poor thing, you can't start yelling at your wife who's sitting there listening to her Bible. So <laughs> he, he, he comes and <laughs> sits down on the, on the bed next to me. And the next thing that we heard together was a house divided against itself cannot stand a verse out of Mark. Cause I had been listening to the book of Mark and we sat there in that moment and decided that the action step that we wanted to take, the change was like, God was saying to us, hey, the most important thing is not what you're fighting about. The most important thing is that you stay as two people who have become one in my sight. And so, like, we looked at each other, and it wasn't like we couldn't have picked up where we left off. Of course, we remembered everything we had been saying. But all of a sudden, in that moment, it was like, it's it's actually it's not worth it. Like, even though I could try to win that or could try to convince you or could try to manipulate you or could try to punish you or could try to do anything else my son wanted to do, it's not, it's not worth it. And so now for us and one of our action steps is when one of us feels like we're getting kind of heated about anything, you know, peanut butter or toothpaste or where you parked or whatever, when the other person, we've like disciplined ourselves to be the person who's not upset, say to the one that is upset, you sound like you're angry. Tell me what it is that you're really afraid. And that saved us. I can't even tell you, Bill, how many times. Like, we were building a house, and I don't know, the, the builder was talking to us about putting a bathroom in our guest bedroom, and I was like, we don't need one of those. And Todd was like, we do need one of those. And we started talking about a bathroom, and a hot second later, we were talking about his mother, you know, the way you do when you fight. And he looked at me, and he said, <laughs> he's like, Beth, you sound angry, but I think you're really afraid. What are you afraid of? And I was like, oh, I am afraid. You're right. I'm afraid that we can't afford that bathroom. And he's like, oh, I mean, we wouldn't even be having that conversation if I didn't think we could afford it. And he got out his little spreadsheets, and I was like, great. I'd like brush nickel in there then, please. And, you know, <laughs> off, off, off we went. But it was like some of those, like, disruptors of patterns that we had long held, like the idea that we might just a few words or the application of Scripture in a heated moment. Like, those things have actually change the trajectory of not only our marriage, but certainly my faith life. And those are the kind of moments that I tried to capture in the devotional. Mm, that's really powerful. And you know, Beth, it sounds like too, you and your husband then had a, um, a testimony to God's faithfulness that you remember that moment yes. sitting on the bed, you could have returned to the argument, but yes. God's word spoke to you. And now you've got a benchmark experience that you now have in your arsenal of how we communicate. Yes. Yeah, there's nothing more important. And so sometimes if I feel myself getting kind of worked up, like on a drive home from somewhere, or if I hang up a phone call or whatever, I just start playing my audio Bible. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't even matter where I am, just the sound of God's Word. It says so in true. the Word, it's like, it's like, like 
balm, like honey, like like the balm of Gilead, like it, it literally kind of coats over those rough and ragged edges and starts to just remind you of what's most important. Mm-hmm. I also have heard and from a guest that was on the show not that long ago that the uh, the anger part can be a result of mm-hmm. a lot of frustration. It's not that you're yeah. so uh, angry, angry, you're just so frustrated. Yeah, and Bible, I mean, brain researchers tell us that listening actually heals the brain. And so, like, a couple of the days are about listening, about active listening. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't think we're very good listeners anymore. I mean, we're, we're so, we don't, we don't make space and time to listen. We, we, we're just not that good at it. We're great at talking these days, but we're not so good at listening. And listening heals the brain, reduces frustration, and creates connection. And whether we're talking parent and child or two coworkers or husband and wife, um, yeah, I, I think listening is a really, really important skill for us to continue to work on and develop. I think it's a lost art. I'll go as far as mm-hmm. saying I don't know if anyone ever truly learned how to listen because um, I think most of us just carry on parallel monologues. I just wait mm-hmm. for you to stop talking so I can start talking. <laughs> yeah. And the, and the, yeah, yeah. And whether we're doing it digitally or we're doing it in each other's presence, I, I think we're, yeah. we're busy kind of thinking and posing what it is that we have to say next and Little do we realize no one's actually listening to us, so who cares what we say next, right? <laughs> That's so true. And if we can figure out how to listen to each other, I think we're going to be uh, way happier people. And God did give us the two ears and one mouth. I know I've heard that a million times, but it's true. I, can, I keep thinking about how the Bible says that we are part of a kingdom of priests. And so if a priest is supposed to reflect their God, so if someone is around any one of us who call ourselves Christ followers, we sh- they should know a little bit more about what it's like to be around God, like we're supposed to reflect them, him, him to them. So I think to myself, like, oh my gosh, like how is it that we are reflecting God to a world that doesn't know him? Do we sound like we're curious about them, like we want to hear of them, that we're interested in what's happening in their lives, that we're, we want to know what's bothering them? Or are we spending a bunch of time telling them what they what we think they're doing wrong and what we think that they need to do differently. And, and it's, so that is like messing with my head in terms of not just how do I want to listen and care and live and express myself among the people I love and, and are in the same faith with, but what about people who don't know Jesus? Like how would it look like for me to be curious about their life and, um, and responsive to their needs? Mm. Beth, you're a gift. I love talking to you and I just want to know how is the bathroom in the uh, guest room? <laughs> well, funny, yes, we did put a bathroom in the guest bedroom, and we host lots of missionaries at our house. And uh, every single time someone checks into the guest room, I think to myself, I bet they love that privacy. And it's a little, it's a, it's a pretty regular reminder for me. Um, first of all, to voice my fears when I have them, so mm-hmm. that God can either re- relieve them or, but uh, it, yeah, it's a, it's a good, it's a good pretty regular reminder of me of that moment when I was initially in sin and someone cared enough about me to walk me out of sin instead of meet me there and sin alongside me. Yeah. Well, thank you for uh, coming back on the show with 11 kids. I don't know how you have time. It's my joy. Thanks for having me today. Yeah. Beth Guckenberger has been my guest. We'll take a short break and we'll be right back. Welcome back to the show. I'm awfully 
glad I get a chance to talk to uh, Robbie Gallaty. He's written another book, and this one is incredibly personal because he chronicles his story of addiction and um, how addiction led him back to God. And frankly, he is so gifted, and you start to wonder um, how he got off track in the first place. And so we're going to find out that today. Robbie, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me back. Yeah. Good to be back. <laughs> yeah. You know, you uh, you and I both uh, both grew up Catholic, and so we we love we love church, right? I love church. Amen. I love Amen. It. Me yeah. too. Yeah. Me so too. Um, you had an, a family that loved you, and you loved your family, right? Yeah. You know, I grew up with uh, a pretty good religious home. I mean, my parents were middle-class, uh, hardworking family, and uh, really sacrificed a lot to uh, give me the things I had and brought me to church. And I, I grew up loving church, but I didn't have a relationship with the Lord. I mean, I didn't have a relationship with Jesus personally. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until years later in college, I was at a Baptist college that I heard uh, that I could have a relationship with Christ, but I wasn't ready to receive Christ then. So I rejected the gospel at this Baptist college I was going to uh, and really, by the providence of God, I wound up there on a basketball scholarship. So uh, it's cool how the Lord works. And, you know, even when you don't think God's working, he's always up to something, right? Totally. And uh, he, he has me there and I hear the gospel. But I would remember that and tuck that away seven years later when it would come to fruition. I'd always tell people, don't ever underestimate the power of the sown seeds of the gospel in the hardened hearts of people. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm like, Bill, I'm like the last guy who would ever come to Christ. I mean, I want you to think of that guy in your life, like no way this guy would ever surrender to Christ. But the Lord used those sown seeds to bring me to faith in him many years later. So don't ever underestimate what God could do when you share the gospel. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people in mainline denominational churches that grow up, but they don't know they don't know Jesus because they think they do. Yeah, we we have a lot of what I call unsaved Christians, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. They go to church. They they dress the part. They uh, they have the T-shirt. They wear the cross. They right. own a Bible, but they don't have a relationship with the Lord. And Jesus said, "You will know a tree by the fruit it bears." And uh, I said a prayer in college, but there was no fruit in my life. And so the line I, I came up with to kind of help people think about this is, "The fruit of your life reveals the root of your heart." And so if you don't have, if you're not producing fruit, I would question the root, right, mm-hmm. to see if you're truly a Christian. So let's uh, chat about recovered, how an accident, alcohol, and addiction led me to God. So I would love to hear about the accident, the alcohol, and the addiction. Yeah, so I was like most people listening who uh, really are led to a drug addiction or a, or a pharmaceutical addiction. I, I got into an accident. So I legitimately was in pain, right? I went mm-hmm. to the doctor and uh, the doctor said, uh, you're going to go home with four things. And so I'm 22 years old, never taken drugs before in my life, but I'm in pain. So I go home with Oxycontin, Valium, Soma, and Percocet. Okay. And for those listening, you know where this leads. I mean, within three months, I'm addicted to pharmaceutical drugs. You bet you uh, are. I have this insatiable desire to get high. I, I can't work anymore. I can't train. I was training uh, MMA fighting at the time. I talk about all this in the book. Uh, I was legitimately in pain, and so I'm addicted to drugs, and I've got to find a way to fill this insatiable desire to get high. And so uh, a friend of mine tells me, Robbie, why are you fooling with pharmaceutical drugs when you can fool with street drugs, 
heroin and cocaine, you can buy it in bulk, you can bag it, sell it, and fuel your habit. And so at the time, I was desperate. And so I took the, the knowledge I had from the business world, and I brought it into the drug world. And uh, I started this illegal import business where in the beginning, I had tons of money. I mean, I, I was very successful. I made a lot of money. Uh, but with any kind of addiction, the addiction was overwhelming. And uh, I couldn't pay the bills anymore. I couldn't provide for myself. And so I did something. I talk about this in the book, but I'm not proud of. I, I stole from my own family for $15,000, uh, almost bankrupted the family business. Um, my dad had a collision center and over three months I periodically charged on the family bank account. And I'll never forget the phone call from my mom. My mom calls me on the phone after she finds out and she says, Robbie, I want you to know your father is furious and I'm disappointed. Don't you ever come to this house again? Oh, wow. And in my, and, and this is, if, if you, if you read the book, you realize that my parents are really close. I'm a half, I'm half Italian. My dad's almost full-blooded Italian and a very close, tight-knit Roman Catholic Italian family. This was a shot across the bow for me. Uh, this is something that was very difficult for mom and dad to do, but let me just pull over and park here. This is what saved my life. It was the, the tough love for my parents that basically saved my life. And so mom and dad basically ended this relationship and kicked me out the house. Now, let me just speak to the parents who are listening or the family members who are dealing with this addiction now, because always when you have a perpetual drug addiction bill, it's the result of an enabler. So in my case, it was my dad. It wasn't my mom, but sometimes it's, it's a mom. And if you're that enabler, let me just say you're doing it because you love your kids, right? You mm -hmm. want the best for them. You love your family members, but you're actually perpetuating their death. And here's what I mean. Any long-term drug addiction, is the result of an enabler, and it always leads to three areas, jail, institution, or death. And there's no, I mean, obviously rehab and recovery, but jail, institution, or death if you're on that trail. And my mom actually said, no more coming home. And what she did was she created a bottom. So here's the line I want to give you, and I give this to a lot of parents. I've counseled family members and people on addiction for the past 15 years. And here's the line I've come up with. If you keep being their savior, Jesus never can be. Mm -hmm. And Bill, if you think about it, I mean, why would they turn to Christ when they have mom, right? Or why would they turn to, to God when they have dad? And my parents created this bottom to where I had to get so low to where I was ready to turn and surrender my life to Christ. So, Robbie, let me ask, did you get to be a pretty good con man or manipulator? Because, you know, a mother's heart or a dad's heart can be pretty tender and pretty workable if you if you know how to work it. Yeah, I mean, I was a master manipulator. Uh, the rent was always due twice a month. The phone <laughs> bill was always due three times a month. You know, I was always asking uh -huh. for money. And my parents, you know, they, they loved me and they cared for me. But here's the thing I, I tell parents. Tough love is really difficult. It, it, the reason it's called tough love is it's tough. However, you have to get to a place where you're not going to fund the death of your child. And so there has to be a level of faith when you turn them over to the Lord. My parents turned me over basically to the Lord, and they prayed that I would get right with God or right, you know, get my life right. And eventually I did. And so I went to rehab, uh, actually went to rehab twice. I talk about that in the book. 
And the reason I went to two rehabs is because the first two times I tried to do it without Christ. Uh, the first time I did it without Christ, second time I did it without Christ. After coming home from the second rehab, I remembered what the gospel that was told to me seven years before in college. And there I was. I wasn't in a church service. I wasn't in a revival service. I was in my room. And I cried out to the Lord. And I, and I didn't know much of the gospel. But I tell people I took as much faith as I had. And I put it, put it in as much of Christ as I knew. And that's really all it takes to be saved, right? You don't need to know all the finer tenets of soteriology and eschatology and justification by faith. I just knew that I was a sinner and I knew I couldn't save myself. And so I had this radical Paul-like conversion. Uh, the conversion was so radical, Bill. I went to my dad who was Catholic. And remember, he doesn't even have a category for what I'm about to tell him. <laughs> I, said, I said, Dad, God called me to be a preacher, mm -hmm. you know? And and he looks up at me from his recliner and he's thinking, what are you smoking, son? You right. know, a preacher, like anything but a preacher. And he doesn't even know what to say. So he says, like, how are you going to get married, Robbie, by being a priest? And he thought, you know, necktie and the robe and all that. And I said, no, dad, I'm not going to be a priest. And so here's what happened. For the next nine months, I wandered in the Christian faith. Uh, I didn't know how to read the Bible. I didn't know how to pray. I didn't know how to memorize scripture. I mean, I didn't even know I should do these things. And so here I was, I'm at church one Sunday. I'd been praying for a season of time for someone to invest in me. And this seminary student by the name of David Platt, uh, he's, a, he's a seminary student. And for those who don't know, he's, a, he's the author of, of a book called Radical. And uh, he would go on to pastor churches. He's now the pastor of McLean Bible Church in, in the D.C., Virginia area. But back then, he's a seminary student. And David comes across church one Sunday and he's like, hey, man, would you be interested in meeting once a week to study the Bible, memorize scripture and pray? I said, David, I would love to. He said, pray about it. I said, I already have. When do we meet? And for the next two years, every week, we started at the Chinese restaurant over General So's chicken. And we went to the pizza place and, and ate pizza. And then eventually, David encouraged me to go to seminary. I became his assistant. I traveled the world with him. And I tell people... The reason I'm so passionate today about making disciples is because I'm the product of it. And I know a lot of people never have the benefit of being discipled, which is why I've been on a mission ever since becoming a believer to really champion the cause of disciple making, because for me, it was the difference that made all the difference in the world. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's the reason I am where I am today. Robbie, that's a huge game changer. That story is so powerful. Yeah, thank you. Uh, you know, I tell people, people hear my story and they say, man, I don't have a story like you. I don't have a, a radical transformation experience. Or I, I wasn't as bad off as you are or you were. And I tell people, your outside appearance in life may not be the same. The, the same struggles may not be there. But we all struggle with sin. And we all have a sin problem that we need a Savior to address. And so regardless of where you are, what I want you to hear, and, and people who read the book will hopefully be encouraged by certain things in the book that are different but similar. I want people to see this, that if God can change me, like God can change anybody. Mm -hmm. And and I want people to see this, that God can do more in your life in a moment than any man or woman could ever manufacture in a lifetime. Like we serve a God who doesn't just work in the miracle working business. 
Like he owns the business, okay? And so he can do more in a moment in our lives if we truly surrender to him. Now, just because we're Christians, just because we're born again, doesn't insulate us from the effects of sin or challenges in life. What I'll talk about in the book is uh, a year and a half after becoming a Christian, uh, I was married to my wife, Candy. We were married for about nine months. And Hurricane Katrina comes through New Orleans in, in the middle of uh, in the middle of a seminary semester. Candy and I were married for a short time. And we packed everything we owned, Bill, in a suitcase. Uh, actually, we packed three pairs of clothes in a suitcase. And we took our dog and left everything home. And the hurricane came through and destroyed everything. We lost everything from our wedding gifts and our clothes and our car and our computers and our every video of me growing up as a child, every basketball video, every picture. My parents had 12 feet of water. I had eight feet. My sister had 15 feet of water. And for a season there, I was thinking, really, God? You know, like I, I lost everything once, but here I am losing everything again. And the Lord showed me a valuable principle there. He had to take away everything to show me that Jesus was everything and the only thing I needed. But he also showed me this, and this is such a cool insight, that when we're down to nothing, God's always up to something. And God was using the hurricane, a horrific event in the life of my family, to bring my mom, dad, and sister to saving faith in him. And they watched, this is so cool, they watched from a distance how God was blessing me and Candy. And they were seeing that in their own life. And they were saying, wow, we're not getting this from our church and our friends. And God used us losing everything to bring my, my parents and my father, uh, mother, and sister to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And this is the happiest news I can ever hear in life, Robbie, is what you just told me. I mean, uh, my, my favorite team winning the Super Bowl, eh, don't care. Hearing stories like this is the ones that make me truly happy. Yeah, I mean, let, let's be honest. I mean, material things are great to have and you know, accolades and achievements, but now my dad became my biggest and first disciple after he got saved. I was discipling my dad over the phone from a distance. And it was so cool because my dad's calling me and saying, you know, I didn't realize Jesus had brothers and sisters. You know, so here's a here's a 66-year-old man, you know, mm-hmm. 65-year-old man who's reading the Bible with fresh eyes. And I get the privilege of navigating and helping him guide through the scriptures. Man, what a joy the Lord has given me to be able to do that for my family. Yeah, no kidding. Let me take a little break. Robbie Gallaty is my guest. His book is called Recovered, How an Accident, Alcohol, and Addiction Led Me to God. We'll take a short break and be right back. back to the show. I have on my Skype line, Robbie Gallaty. He's written an incredible book called Recovered, How an Accident, Alcohol, and Addiction Led Me to God. And Robbie, right before we went to break, we were uh, chatting about you discipling your dad and how awesome that is and how sometimes people will say, boy, I don't have the kind of story you have. And I always think of Revelations 3.17 that says, you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And that's all of us. Mm, yeah. We're all I mean, you know, the Savior. Yeah, I mean, it, re- it just reminds me of my own testimony. People always ask me, how have you stayed 
so passionate about the things of God? How have you stayed so fresh in the ministry? And here's what I want people to realize, regardless of your testimony or where you've been or what God saved you from, you should never get to a place where you get over being saved, right? Totally. Like, like Paul, Paul was never uh, over the fact that one day he was blind, literally, and now he saw through Christ. Mm-hmm. I mean, we should never get over being saved. There was a day when we were dead in our trespasses, aliens and strangers to God, separated from him under the wrath of God, Ephesians 2 says, and God seated us in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus by grace we've been saved. Like, we should never get over the fact that God saved us. But the challenge is, the longer you're a Christian, the longer you're in church, we become more institutionalized and domesticated in the church. Wouldn't you agree? Mm-hmm. And the the things that were once exciting to us become commonplace. Uh, I was speaking to someone, I was doing an interview this morning, I was talking to someone about just reading scripture. And, and this, is a, this is a thing that happens to all of us, Bill. Uh, when, when you read scripture over and over again, uh, what happens is it becomes what, what I call the lullaby effect. And I think somebody said this before me, but, but I call it the lullaby effect. What that means is when you hear it and it's familiar, it loses its excitement. It loses its luster, if you will. Uh, and I liken it to my son, Ryder. Like my wife, Candy, every time she puts the boys to sleep, since they were children, they want to hear, you are my sunshine. I know it's kind of hokey, but they love it. And they're two really like strong boys, but they love to hear their mom sing. And the <laughs> moment my wife Andy starts to sing, the eyes start to shut and they go to bed. And it's just familiarity and they get to hear it. Well, the same thing could happen with scripture, right? Like because you've read the same passage over and over, you get in this lullaby kind of effect where you miss some of the really insightful details in the Bible. And that should never happen to us, right? Like we should read the same text over and over again. And because we have the spirit of God and because the Bible's living and active, we should never get to the place where it becomes commonplace. Mm-hmm. I also find that the more familiar you get with a passage of scripture, the more likely you are to skim over it with your eyes. Mm, and you're, yeah. you're kind of reminding yourself of the of the verse and skipping some words, and then you encounter a new student of God's Word, and they, they're dissecting every word, and they're teaching you things. Yeah, that's why it's always good in, in a discipleship relationship to have a new believer in the group, because that new believer brings a freshness and an excitement. And, and just to those listening, and I want to just say this to you to think about the Bible, you never graduate from the Bible right? Like you don't, there's not like another book. There's not another course. There's not another sign up sheet. I mean, the Bible is the textbook and that's, what's so cool about it. You never exhaust the Bible. It's rich and deep and wide, and you never can exhaust the depth of it, depths of it. Mm -hmm. Robbie, I wouldn't mind if you would take me back to a 22 year old Robbie, who's got uh, two herniated discs in his neck and back and you're on pharmaceutical uh, opioids. Let me ask you, what accountability did you have back then in those days? Were you off on your own, kind of taking as many as you wanted? Was your mom calling you saying, Robbie, how's your pain level today? How many have you taken? Uh, what was that like back then? Yeah, and that's a great point. There was no really accountability back then. Uh, and that's that's one of the reasons people fall even today. And even in my own life, that's what's helped me in the ministry and as a Christian is I have healthy parameters set in my life, because I know, like people listening, what takes a lifetime to build in a testimony 
can be destroyed in a moment, right? I mean, like we could, with one bad decision, bad, con- we can destroy our lives in a moment. And that's why accountability is so important. Back then, I didn't have any. It was free reign. I was doing what I wanted. I wasn't a Christian, obviously, so I didn't understand the value of accountability. But back then, I didn't have much of it. Uh, but but let me speak to that 22-year-old or 25 or 19-year-old listening today who's struggling maybe with this, or maybe the parent of one of those those, those students or, or, or one of those teenagers struggling with addiction. Let, let me just speak to you for a moment. Your life's not over. Like the final chapter of your life is yet to be written. So don't underestimate what God could do if you truly surrender to your life or to give your life truly to him. And I want you to understand if there's life, there's breath and there's, and there's breath, there's hope. And so don't underestimate and think, well, God's, you know, God's passed over me or my life's too bad, or you don't understand. And you're right. I don't understand, but I do know what God's done in my own life. And I really believe God can change your life in a moment if you surrender completely to him. That's a beautiful message, and it's absolutely true. So, I again, uh, thank you for speaking that truth and doing it so boldly. Yeah, well, hopefully somebody's encouraged to see that, you know, if God can do this with Robbie, then God can do this with me. And I just want to encourage parents to hang in there. Uh, God, the, the Bible, you know, you always misquote, the Bible doesn't give us more than we can bear. And the, and unfortunately, that's not biblical. God always puts on us way more than we can bear in our human nature, but he does it in a way where he gives us grace to mm-hmm. sustain us. Yeah. And so when we depend upon that grace, yeah. So if someone is uh, have a, has a, a shoulder surgery or a herniated disc like you had, is your counsel uh, to parents and loved ones to make sure that there's um, someone sort of in their face, maybe even uh, allocating how much pain meds they get and trying to be as... as uh, as good a steward as possible of the medication they have on them? Yeah, that's a great point. So I just had uh, an appendicitis attack this summer where I was put into the hospital for emergency surgery. And obviously because of the pain level and I tried to manage without, I had to take pain meds. Uh, But one of the things I put in place is I have my wife, who's my accountability partner. As soon as I left the hospital, they gave me pain medication to take home. And obviously it was about four or five pills because I didn't want a lot, Mm -hmm. but I gave them to my wife and I was able to make it with only taking one pill when I got home and we flushed the rest. Wow. And I say that to say now, uh, and and what I tell people is Advil and Tylenol are pretty powerful if taken the right way. Mm -hmm. Uh, The problem is many times we go get a tooth fixed or, you know, we have a back injury and we go home with Oxycontin or, or, or Percocet and we get hooked within six to 10 days because there are no parameters. So I would just say, use somebody in your life to administer the medication to you, even if you have, like me, 17 years of sobriety. Even 17 years of sobriety, I still do not take any chances with the medication because I know whenever we have a window open for the enemy or a foothold, he comes in quickly. So I'm just trying to protect myself. And Robbie, remind people, I think, how important it is to have those kinds of meds in a safe, contained place, maybe even a lockbox, because you never know when friends are coming over or your children's friends and they use the bathroom and look in the medicine cabinet. Yeah, absolutely. There's always a need for that. And I would say no one sets out to ruin their life, right? I mean, like nobody says, I'm going to get on this medication uh, lose my marriage, alienate myself from my kids, lose my job and wind up. Home. Nobody says that, but it happens. 
And so you, you just have to know sin will always take you further than you want to go, keep you there longer than you want to stay, and it'll always cost you more than you ever want to pay. And so just be 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 cognizant that that is a real temptation and protect mm-hmm. yourself. Yeah. Robbie, I know because this is such a big topic and there's so many people involved, um, either personally or they're related to people that are involved, and they're hearing this interview today and they're feeling almost a little sense of panic. Um, can we close our time out? Would you pray for the people who are especially hurting right now? I would love to. And Excellent. I will say this, the, the last half of the, the last chapter of the book, I wrote two people struggling and parents of people struggling. And I give seven to eight practical steps you can take awesome. immediately to experience victory. So let me pray. Awesome. Uh, Father, I know this is, um, this is a very difficult season of life for those struggling and even the parents uh, who are the byproducts of addiction. I pray right now, God, you would show them Jesus, you're the answer to the problem they face. You're the solution to the situation they're in and that they would surrender their life completely to you. And you would work in ways that would be even miraculous to them. You'd take the pain away. You'd take the guilt away. You'd take the shame away. Be with the parents uh, who are coming alongside those they love. Give them strength and grace. And God, we look forward to a wonderful testimony of how you're going to use this in their life. We love you, Lord. We ask it in your name. Amen. Amen. Robbie, thank you so much for doing the show, and congratulations on a beautiful book, so beautifully written. Thank you so much. You bet. Robbie Gallaty's been my guest. His book is called Recovered, How an Accident, Alcohol, and Addiction Led Me to God. We'll take a little break, and we'll be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.